Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Let's open up Revelation chapter 11. We'll just see how much of this we get for this main, I think, probably the spiritual truth that I want to, not probably, it is a spiritual truth, but sometimes I don't know what the main thing is, maybe the Holy Spirit has something else main for you, the main thing that I have in my heart that I definitely will get to today, but we're going to go to Revelation chapter 11, uh, we left off before we did the review, the questions and answers, uh, we had finished chapter 10 a few weeks ago. And we were right in the middle of the sixth trumpet, okay, if you remember that. And the sixth trumpet is the second woe. So to start with, before I even read from chapter 11, I just want to do a little bit of review of the trumpets, okay? And I'm not going to go over the first four, that's why you're in your notes. So you can look at them and you can see them there. Uh, the only reason I'm not going over them is because I'm afraid I'll get sidetracked and spend too much time on them because there's just so much and there's so much more than we can cover and, and it's just a book that we have to, in these last days especially, we have to abide in the words of Jesus. And these are the words of Jesus, this is the revelation of Jesus and, and we need to abide in these words and listen to what, what God is speaking to us and what he's saying to us. You know, the Bible says that we should be watchmen on the wall. You know, that God's called us to be a watchman on the wall. Well, I don't need to pick on Danny. I already picked on him last week. He didn't to come up here. But uh, last last fall, Danny and his friend took me hunting deer because I got a tag. And I'd never hunted deer in Nevada. I'd hunted deer in the Midwest. And I really had no idea what it would be like. And so I was just completely, just teach me whatever. I'm just going to go with them. But I just remember, you know, all this scouting the deer first. And these guys... They got binoculars, they put them on, boom. There's a buck, those are does, da-da-da. Here, Kevin, look. I didn't see anything. <laughs> I just see sagebrush, or I see a tree. I mean, I literally could not see them. Danny kept telling me, look for this, look for this. I can't see them. I just can't see them. How do they see that? They're older than I am. They can see it. I can't see it. And I just bring this to you as an example that we're often looking at something and we maybe are even trying to look through the lens of the scripture, but we really need to keep our hearts open. Because what we think we know, we don't always know. And it was on, on the second day, and it was really the best part of the hunt. I didn't even get a deer, and I didn't even care. Because the best part of the hunt was I learned how to see deer from those binoculars. All of a sudden, I could see them. They were everywhere. There's deer, deer, I can see the deer. And it was so exciting. It literally was just exciting to me to be able to learn how to recognize their markings through those binoculars. I was just thinking about that as watchmen on the walls. You know, we see things going on in our world today. Uh, right now, a lot is going on in Iran. Iran is Persia. It's a big, has a big role to play in the last days. It's in the Bible. And there's a lot of things going on in Iran like that right now. First of all, a lot of people don't see those things because the news isn't talking about it very much because it's all Ukraine and gas prices and things like that. And we miss out if we're not listening to the Holy Spirit and, and watching what God is watching. And we need to be watching Jerusalem if we want to see what God is watching, because everything's going on around Jerusalem. 
and then we miss out on things. And then secondly, I know from listening to some people that they see what's happening in Iran, and I promise you they absolutely don't even understand. I mean, I know by the Spirit, they don't understand what's, what's really going on there. And it's very important for us to understand those things. As Americans, and I, when I say this stuff, I never want to try to offend anybody. I'm an American. And, uh, but I just want us to wake up. You know, as, as Americans, um, and it doesn't have to be just being American. It, it could be, you know, whatever, I don't know, what, whatever little niche we landed in in the world. You know, we couldn't pick the country we were born in. Can't pick the color of our skin. You know, we couldn't pick our native language. A lot of things God just planted. But we get locked down into the little world that we live in. And we only listen to people that say things just the same way we say things. And so often we don't, and this could be in any area of life, but we, we don't listen. We don't really listen. Uh, remember Elijah uh, wanted to hear from God. You know, there's an earthquake and there's thunder and there's, you know, all this stuff going on. And with all that stuff, God's not in any of it. And then he hears God in this still, small voice that God is speaking to him in his heart and in his spirit. And each one of us, as born-again Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to hear God, but we have to have ears to hear. One of the big messages of Revelation, and, and just really uh, listen. So what I was going to say is, as, as Americans, we, uh, a lot of times we, uh, well, if you, for those of you that have spent any time overseas, you know that this is true, but most Americans haven't, and we just don't get other cultures. We don't understand other things. We don't understand other cultures even within our own country, and so we, we do tend to be quite prejudiced, and I don't mean it in the sense of being uh, vindictive or hateful. We, we may very well love those cultures, but we just don't understand them. We don't, we don't get that, and that's okay, because you don't have to understand everything, but what's not okay is to pretend like you understand everything when you don't understand anything because then we make ourselves close to the Spirit of God and we can't hear what it is that God, you know, God speaks something to us. And Sabrina and I were just talking the other day about this. That you, you have people that, that, you know, a person may be just locked into this, that the rapture has to happen seven years before, you know, the second coming. And we won't be here when the Antichrist comes and we won't be here when the mark of the beast comes. And if, if you've just totally locked yourself into that, you can't even listen to anything else. You can't hear what the scripture says, because I, I know very clearly from my own stuff, but it does not say that. But uh, then, well, what do you think? Somebody comes along offering you the mark of the beast, you're just going to, well, it can't be the mark of the beast, because we can't be here when the mark of the beast happens. And so then your whole house of cards just crumbles because you've built it on false pretenses. So I just want to really encourage you to really keep your heart open to, to the Lord. We're going to look at these two uh, witnesses tonight, and, and I really want to challenge you to see the difference between them and ourselves, between how they minister and the courage, the boldness, and the fire that they have, which is the presence, the power, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and how we are today. I do not want you to say, well, of course, that's the two witnesses. That's like saying, well, of course Moses did that or Elijah. He's Moses. He's Elijah. Or, of course, Jesus was like that. He's Jesus. But we are the body of Christ. And we've been called to be little Jesuses, to be like Jesus on this earth. And everything Jesus did, he did it to leave us an example. 
so that we would live that way. And we'll see tonight that these two witnesses are not supposed to be disjoined from us. We are these two witnesses. And I'll explain that in just a few minutes. So we have these first four trumpets. Get back to this review. And I've got those in your notes, and I'm not going to go over that again. Did a lot of teaching on that. Then we come to the fifth trumpet. And the fifth trumpet is the first woe. Okay? Remember, an angel proclaims, woe, woe, woe. There are three woes to come. So the fifth trumpet is the first woe. And when the fifth trumpet sounds, there is a locust army, a demonic force of locust-type creatures. They're, they're demons that come up from the bottomless pit, and uh, they torment uh, the people that live on the earth, uh, except for the people who have the seal of God on their forehead. So I'm not going to say they don't torment people that call themselves Christians. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that call themselves Christians that don't have the seal of God. But they do not have power to torment real Christians. They don't have the power to torment the children of God who have the seal of God on their, on their forehead. And, uh, but they do have the power to torment everyone else on the earth. And they torment them for five months. And we talked about the number five. We, we did a lot of teaching on that. We talked a lot about locusts. And uh, for me, even teaching it, it was really interesting. Uh, but there's a couple things I didn't go over then that I want to bring again right now because I think it would be a good time to bring it in uh, this evening. Remember, they torment the people to such an extent that the people are begging to die but they cannot die. And this is a spiritual torment, first and foremost. And it ha of course, it ha it, it's affected in their physical bodies. It's physical pain, physical torment, but it's coming from the bottomless pit. When we come to the sixth trumpet, there's an actual human army, if you remember. But the sixth trumpet and the fifth trumpet, they just follow one after another. So the evil spirits come first, and then the human army comes together with them. And I do not believe that we're actually at the time of the fifth trumpet right now, but we see these things happening in the world today. So I want to say a few things more about the fifth trumpet before we move on, because it'll tie in to chapter 11. Uh, if you'll remember, when we looked at the fifth trumpet, uh, uh, it was said to John that the locusts, they have a king over them. And the king's name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it's Apollyon. And both of those names mean destruction or the destroyer. So we can pretty easily say the devil is their king, right? And it may not be Satan himself, one of those big satanic things. But really, Satan himself is, is their king. And we'll, I'll show you that here in just a minute. So there's something interesting. I want to take us back for just a minute without opening it to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, we talked about Gog and Magog. We did real brief teaching on that. But we needed to bring that in, and we had to have a map, and we were looking at Turkey, if you remember, and the Caucasus Mountain region, and where these lands actually were during that time. And one of the things that we talked about then is that a lot of people have interpreted that as being the Soviet Union, and there wasn't a Soviet Union, then it's Russia, and then some people have interpreted it, depends on where you listen to people interpret it. People in other countries interpret, no, that's America, no, that's you know, England or something else. And the thing about Gog and Magog, is it's such a mystery, like the Antichrist and other things, and the mark of the beast, it even says that it's a mystery, that there's really no way, that's why I talk about the deer, there's no way that we can know 100% some of these things right now. But we have to have those binoculars, and we have to know what to look for. 
so that we can recognize what's happening in our world so that we will not be deceived. And we have to have our eyes open. So there's a scripture, and you can look at this in your Bible if you want. Uh, it's Amos chapter 7, verse 1. In fact, it just asked me, you've got a Bible, open it to Amos chapter 7, verse 1, and just look at it, okay? Chapter 7, verse 1, talks about locusts or grasshoppers, and then what version you have. And if you remember, locusts and grasshoppers, same thing. Um, yeah. So, there's a version, most of you know this, I think, but there's an ancient version of the Bible called the Septuagint, and that's the Greek Old Testament. And it was translated, supposedly, by 70 scholars, which is why it's called the Septuagint, who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about all that, but uh, if that's the exact number or not. Uh, but we know that there was a great deal of inspiration of the Holy Spirit in translation of these scriptures because the Septuagint is quoted verbatim in many places in the New Testament. That's why sometimes you'll read in the New Testament and Old Testament scripture, and it's not exactly the same words, as you read in the Old Testament when you look it up. Because when things go into different languages, you have to change words around. But that doesn't change the Word of God. It's us translating. I mean, everybody knows God did not inspire the Bible in English, right? We have a translation. We have very good translations. Um, but um, when they translate Amos chapter 7, verse 1, this is how they translate it. And this was about 200 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, in fact, the Greek text of the Septuagint is more ancient than the Hebrew text that we have, which only goes back about a thousand years. That doesn't mean it's more faithful, it's just the way the rabbis kept things going. There aren't any of those, you know, paper doesn't last for very long back in those old days. It doesn't last very long today. But be that as may, Amos chapter 7, verse 1 from the Septuagint, it reads like this in English, if I translate it to English. Thus the Lord showed me, and you look at it as you have, thus the Lord showed me, and behold, a swarm of locusts coming early. That's pretty much the same thing. And then it says, and behold, one locust, Gog, the king. Absolutely not what it says in your English Bible, right? And it's not really close to what the Hebrew scripture says there either. So why did they write Gog, the king, that the king over these locusts is God? Um, why they actually did it, I can't tell you 100%. But most scholars uh, believe on the basis of this and some other things that that was their interpretation of Amos's prophecy. And they understood that they needed to tie that together with Ezekiel. They had, they had what I'm trying to show you is they had, an, and the rabbis had an understanding that these locusts were a demonic horde and that they were enemies of the people of God and they were enemies of Israel. And so the rabbinical traditions, and there's a lot of things that I've never read, I wouldn't even go into, but they're out there, uh, uh, targums and rabbinical traditions, where they very often, well, not very often, quite often, linked this idea of Gog to the ruling power, the demonic ruling power that rules, rules over the enemies of Israel. Okay? Uh, Numbers chapter 24, verse 7. So look that up so you can just look at it while I'm reading this. Numbers 24, verse 7. So this is a prophecy that Balaam gives, and even though he proves himself to be a false prophet, it's not because the Spirit of God wasn't speaking through him, it's because of his moral failures that he failed. But as a prophet, before his failure, if you remember, he could not curse the children of Israel. The Holy Spirit actually was in control of what he was speaking, 
And he has a prophecy recorded in Numbers, and it's a messianic prophecy, a very powerful prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ. And so in Numbers 24, verse 7, in this messianic prophecy, just look at it in your Bible, Numbers 24, 7. In the Septuagint, in the Greek, it reads like this, if I read it in English. A man will come forth from his seed. From the seed of Jacob, a man will come. That's speaking about the Messiah. A man will come forth from his seed and will be Lord over many nations. And his kingdom will be exalted over Gog and his kingdom shall wax great. It doesn't say that in your English Bible. And I hope I'm not confusing, but what I'm trying to show you is there was a very strong tradition into the time of Jesus and in the time of the New Testament that this God that Ezekiel prophesied about is somehow interrelated with what would later be called the Antichrist or this King Abaddon, Apollyon. And when John writes these things, he's very clearly referencing not only Joel, but also Amos, and also Numbers, and he's drawing his readers' attention because they're all Hebrews, for the most part, that are reading what, what he's writing. There's so much Hebrew-isms in the book of Revelation that we have to look at this stuff to understand that when they read that, they would have thought of Amos chapter 7, verse 1. They would Not very many of them read Hebrew, by the way. You could pick that up in the book of Acts. It was a big deal that Paul could actually speak Hebrew. Most of them read the Bible in Greek because that was the common language throughout the world. And uh, just in Judea, they would have spoken Hebrew. And so they, their attention would have been drawn to these verses and that the, the king, the Messiah, will come from Jacob. And that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his kingdom will be greater than the kingdom of God and he will defeat God and bring him down completely. So... That's all tied in with this fifth trumpet, with this locust army, with this uh, Abaddon and Apollyon. And uh, it's important for us to, to look at that and get this because we're moving into the part of Revelation that's going to be dealing a lot with the Antichrist and with the kingdom of the Antichrist. And we need to understand that the power, and this is going to be repeated, of course, but the power behind the new world order and we're trying to get a new world order right now. The power behind the new world order is Satan himself. It's Satan. And uh, so I talked a little bit about Iran. Well, Persia is mentioned right there in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So I've tried to understand Ezekiel 38 and 39 all my life because I've heard a lot of teaching on it. I mean, when I was a little kid, that's the Soviet Union and stuff like that. And then when the Soviet Union, they changed the story. And, you know, and then I went to Russia and everybody was saying, that's not true, that's America. And I was like, oh, I got to think about that. Or, they, actually, they were saying America's the poor of Babylon. But, uh, and, and I'd never heard that before until I went to Russia. But that might be true. I don't know. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. We have to keep looking through those binoculars and picking up things that, that we can notice. So uh, the one thing that we know when we covered this is that the, the, the countries or nations that are mentioned in uh, most of them in Ezekiel 38 and 39, like Magog, that they are actually places, and they are located in what is modern-day Turkey, okay? And every country on that thing is actually Muslim. So there could be the idea that it's an Islamic invasion against uh, Israel. And that would seem like the most obvious, right? But what seems most obvious just really might not be it. 
You know what I'm saying? I remember the first day I was looking at that, I was like, yeah, I got it, they, I got it here. And I was like, hey, that's a patch of snow, what? I don't know. Just because something seems obvious doesn't mean that that's really what it is. So we really shouldn't settle things and keep our hearts and our minds open. The only thing that should be settled for us is this is what the Bible says. This is what God says, and we are sticking with that. So as we went through those countries, I told you then, we don't really know what it is. You know, one of them, Gomer, is most likely Crimea. And we talked a little bit about that. It's so interesting that over this little piece of territory, the whole world's fighting right now. Um, but one of them is definitely Iran, because it's Persia, or at least part of the land of, of modern-day Iran. And what would be very interesting to me right now is if over the next year, suddenly the radical Islamic uh, rulership over Iran uh, fell and there was a democratic leadership, or so-called democratic, we just call it democratic, put, put in place instead. Well, wouldn't that shake up the whole thing? You know, what would we say then? And so a lot of people are looking right now and saying, oh, come on, we really want this, uh, uh, we really want to see uh, uh, the uh, Ayatollah overthrown in Iran and everything. And from a political standpoint, yeah, probably that's the best thing to do. I don't really like the Ayatollah myself either. But uh, would that really make things better for Israel automatically? Oh, because now we have the Shah again, or now we have a democratic leadership. How do we know that when the Bible very clearly says that Persia will come against Israel? So could it even be, could it even be that England or uh, America would be a part of that? And we immediately say, oh no, that's impossible because that could never happen in America. We're the friend of Israel. Are we really? I mean, do you watch the news and see how quickly things turn, how quickly things change? And everything could change within a month. Everything could be different now than it really is. Do you really think you know what's going on in the White House? Because I don't. I can't figure out anything they're doing there. And I, I, took them up, I get all these crazy uh, conspiracy theories going through my mind because it doesn't make any sense at all. You know. And so I don't think we need to just read somebody's prophecy book and just be settled on this is what's really happening. Because what actually is happening politically in Iran right now is there, there are protests, there's revolution being fomented there, which may pan out to be a good thing for Iranians. It may not. You know, not all these regime changes actually work out the way America plans them. Because what's happening in Iran right now is being financed and being supported not even by America as much as by England. So let me throw this little wrench in there also. God and Magog. Did you know that Gog and Magog are the protectors of London? How many of you knew that? Oh, come on. Has anybody ever been to London? Okay. So, in London, my, my brother is, is British. My brother-in-law is British. And he told me this. Oh, yeah, Gog and Magog. It's a big deal. So, so from most ancient of times, and you, did, you go look this up on Wikipedia if you want or somewhere. But, because uh, it's a long, long, ask Steve, he'll come tell you the whole story. He knows everything about this stuff. But uh, they, Gog and Magog, are considered the protectors of uh, London. They're considered, mythologically, of course, nobody actually believes that, but there are statues. In the parade of the mayor of London, every single year, they bring out statues of Gog and Magog going down the street, okay? And they're considered to be two demonic giants who way back before the time of Rome came to Britain and 
establish their kingdom in, in Britain. Uh, for example, uh, there's a book called The Gigantic History of Two Famous Giants and Other Curiosities in Guildhall, London. And Guildhall, by the way, as you can tell from the name, Gold Hall, is the center of the London Exchange, which is the center of world business, not just the Twin Towers that came down. And it's not just New York and the stock market. This is the ancient center of world business. And in this book, which was written in 1741, so this isn't something I just made up last week, uh, it says, talking about Dog and Magog, like mighty giants defend the honor of their country and liberty of this their city, which excels all others, as much as those huge giants exceed in stature the common bulk of mankind. What does that mean? God said you cannot serve God and man. You really have to understand that every system of this world is serving man. Okay? And so if they're serving mammon, they're not serving God. Because Jesus said it's impossible to serve two masters. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not serving mammon. And we cannot fall into that trap in our personal lives, in our families. We cannot ever get into this place where mammon becomes our God. And everything about the world is trying to make mammon our God. Trying to make demonic giants our gods. That, that we would worship and, and bow before these things. And of course, we're not superstitious, so we don't believe in that stuff anymore, but we do. We still believe in that stuff. In fact, I would say that occultism is, more, is, is on the rise today, stronger than it was even in the 70s, and it was pretty strong in the 70s. So there are demonic forces at work in this world, and we need, and I promise you, what I'm saying is going to lead into Revelation 11. We won't go through the whole thing tonight, because I've already gone too long with this. But we have to be prepared. And I guess one of the things, I guess, I know one of the things that I want, want to do tonight is just challenge you to think that maybe what you're seeing through those binoculars isn't what you're seeing through those binoculars. And really focus on the Bible and have a heart open to watch and wait for Jesus Christ and see what he's doing. Uh, I, that's true with Ukraine-Russia stuff. That's true with, uh, I, I don't think what you think you see at the gas pump is what is really going on. And there, there, there are things happening that we don't even understand, and it doesn't mean the people in Washington understand. There are demonic forces at work, and they are at work to create a new world order. I mean, I brought this up already, but I'm still in shock about walking into Target in Oklahoma and not just seeing the rainbow fragments jump. I already saw that but seeing kindergarten books, preschool books, being sold about transgenderism. And you're not really a boy, you're not really a girl. I don't want to get into all that stuff, but what's that doing? It's trying to re-engineer humanity, to make a new world order, to bring God down from his throne. And I know from Psalm 2 that God's just sitting up in heaven and laughing. You guys have no idea the destruction that is coming, because pride goes before the fall. So go with me real quick to Revelation 20. We'll get back to 11. Revelation 20, verse 7. It said, we'll teach on this later, but it says, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore, and you can read on what happens to them. 
So Revelation chapter 20 being the last word in the Bible sums this up very clearly, that whether it's Turkey or Russia or the United States or whoever is playing in these roles, what is God and make God real? God is this prince over these locusts. This is Satan himself, because it says Satan right there, Satan himself. And there is a, con just, just so you can understand the evil that's at work in the world today, there is a contingency, if you can imagine this, of a, a vast number of people, so vast that the Bible says it's like the sand on the seashore. And they're going to have 1,000 years of Jesus reigning on the earth. Okay? They're going to see everything, they're going to know everything, and there's not going to be one devil working on this earth. Nobody's going to get murdered. You know, there's reasons to believe from the scripture that people are going to live, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years like it was in Genesis. The lamb will lie down with the lion or whatever else it says in there, you know. And uh, little children will be playing with cobras and nothing will happen to them. You know, there's just going to be this, this garden of Eden on the earth for a thousand years. And still, after a thousand years, Gog and Magog are still here. Isn't that amazing? So whatever Gog and Magog is, we're up against some really serious poison that Satan's put into our world. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to have the power of God working in our lives. And we need to have our eyes focused on Jesus. And our eyes focused on what he is doing. Or I do not think we'll survive. I think many of our children and grandchildren will not have the, the seal of God in their foreheads. And uh, we don't really have very many youth here, not just Frank over there. But I'll tell you, if anybody needs to be hearing Revelation right now, it's the young people. Because this is the world they're going to live in. This is the world that they are inheriting. Okay, now go to Revelation 11, and I promise we won't go through the entire okay? the entire chapter. We'll catch up next week. But let me just finish, just bring it home for you, okay? So Revelation 11. Sometimes I just want to teach through it kind of slowly, and sometimes I just feel like I need to preach something to you, and that was tonight. So Revelation 11, it says, begin with verse 1. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. I'm going to stop right there for tonight and then we'll go, go on next week with the rest of it just because of time. So um, this is still a part of the second woe okay, with the innumerable army that kills one-third of mankind. So imagine that that's what's going on in the background. And nobody repents, even still, if you'll remember, we read that. And even the one-third of mankind is killed in this war. Nobody repents. We've already had one-third of the earth 
being burned up, one-third of the trees burned up, one-third of the green grass burned up. When it says green grass, by the way, I don't think I said this then, by the way, that doesn't mean like our lawn. That means the harvest burned up, the wheat burned up. That's all people are talking about these days. We know that this could happen, and it, it's happened. You know, onto that list of stuff happening. <laughs> stuff that's so obvious that God is not happy with what we're doing on the earth, and still people don't repent. And that seems so amazing. It doesn't mean nobody repents, but as a whole, the earth does not turn back to God. So on the background of that, still part of the sixth seal, there come these two witnesses, and they appear in Jerusalem, and they prophesy there in Jerusalem for 1260 days, and that means for three and a half years. This is the great tribulation. Remember, the first three and a half years is a part of the 70th seven, but the last three and a half years is the time of great tribulation such as has never been upon the earth. And then when they enter Jerusalem, they are witnesses, it says. And remember, we talked about a witness, what a witness really is. It's someone who so believes what he is speaking, what he is preaching, that he lays down his very life for that truth. That's a real witness. And they are witnesses. And if they are New Testament witnesses, can anybody tell me what that means they have? According to Acts 1.8? They have the power of the Spirit, right? Because Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So there's a big difference between doing witnessing with our intellect or with our personal talents or the things we think we can do. It's a big difference from just saying, well, I'll just pray, and if God wants to save that person, he'll just do it eventually. You know, just going on our merry way and smiling at the people. A witness is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means that just like the Old Testament prophets, because the things that are said about them are things that Old Testament prophets did, right? Just like the Old Testament prophets, and exactly like Jesus, did you know that all the gifts of the Spirit, except for tongues and the interpretation of tongues, and, and I think Sunday I'll explain to you why they didn't, but all the gifts of the Spirit operated in the ministry of Jesus. Every time he preached the word of God, the gifts of the Spirit were in operation. And that's an example to us. It wasn't like, well, once a year the Holy Spirit falls and we have revival. It's this daily revival of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And these two witnesses, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are in operation through them. And notice what it says. It says if anyone wants to harm them. Does anybody want to harm Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship today? For sure. And it's going to be even more so as we go into the last days. If anyone wants to, which we're in, if anyone wants to harm them, uh, it doesn't say that they react like we usually react. You know, it doesn't say that they would uh, hire a lawyer and take that person to court. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say that they would, uh, you know, uh, apologize for not being so tolerant and ask that person to forgive them. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, no. It says fire flows out of their mouth and actually devours their enemies, so if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Now, I don't know if that means physically they die. Sometimes in the Bible it doesn't mean that. God told Adam and Eve that they would die on the day they ate that fruit, and physically they didn't die for hundreds of years. But they began to die physically, and instantly they died spiritually. Right? So I, I can't tell you what that means, if people are going to be dropping like flies physically around them. I kind of think not, 
I think it's more of a metaphor or more of a spiritual picture of what's happening spiritually. But what I do know is they are stopped. They cannot harm these two witnesses. These two witnesses are unstoppable for two reasons, maybe for three. One, they have the Word of God, right? They know Jesus, they have the Word of God. But they have the power of the Holy Spirit, and they have a time and a place that very clearly God has given to them. Wherever the sole of your foot treads, that land I have given unto you. Now, we're not going to read that part tonight, but they will be killed themselves at the end of the story. When God says, now the time's out, he allows them to die. He allows them to be killed also. But during the time and in the place God gives them, it's really important. During the time and in the place that God gives to them, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are absolutely unstoppable. And what works through them, as the Holy Spirit works for them, they appear as Elijah and Moses. In fact, some Bible teachers say that this is Elijah and Moses coming back, or this is Elijah and Enoch coming back. I kind of doubt that. One of the big reasons I doubt that is based on Scripture, because Jesus talked about John the Baptist being Elijah. That he wasn't actually Elijah physically, but he's the spirit of Elijah, right? And I think that that's more the spirit of Elijah and Moses. But whatever the case may be with that, the two who were appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration appear again, or that spiritual ministry and anointing appears again in Jerusalem. And these two men, I want to say men because the pronouns are male here, so it's both men. These two men uh, are anointed by the Holy Spirit with, with this ministry. Okay? Here's what I want to end with tonight. And I don't want to go any further because I don't want you to miss it. I really want to talk to you about measuring everything. We'll talk about it next week, okay? Uh, uh, that has to do with the time and the place. God makes a division. Remember, we've talked about these divorces that happen in the book of Revelation. This is my house, and that's the rest of the world trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. You live in my house. And he's making that division today. But this is what I want, I want to draw to your attention. Having said everything that we've set up until this. See, I was talking about Gog and Magog for the reason that you would understand that you're a watchman on the wall. And we're not Americans or uh, you know, Russians or Chinese or whatever other citizenship that person may have, whatever race a person may uh, be, which I would say, you know, 99.9% .9 of us all are mixed races anyway. Uh, whatever native language we may speak, whether we're male or female, by the way, the biggest difference in humans is male and female, and it is, and there's no male and female in Christ Jesus, and that's the thing that's under such an attack by Satan right now, to wipe out the beauty and the unity and the power of God in the church. Because unity is not where we're all the same. Unity is where we're all different, but there's no difference between us. The same power works in, in all of us. But whatever we may be, wherever we uh, may be from, we have a spiritual enemy who's outside of the place God has measured for us. And he's a very powerful enemy. And there's no reason, But there's no reason for us to live our lives in fear of him. These two witnesses are not afraid to go right into the middle of that because they know they have the weaponry. They know they have the artillery. They know they have the skill. 
and they know that they have the best general there could ever be. They have the time, they have the place, and they have the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they have the sword of the Spirit. So they are courageous, they're not afraid. And that sounds so great to us, that again we can say, but that's the two witnesses. Well, when Stephen was a, I, I'm not Stephen, he always listens to these, by the way, hi Stephen. Um, but Stephen was a little boy, I don't know why, but he always had this dream that he'd be one of the two witnesses. And he's just, he said that all the time. When he was a little boy, I want to be one of the two witnesses. My name's Stephen, Stephen was a martyr, and I want to be one of the two witnesses. And I was going to say, Stephen, I think you have to be Jewish to be one of those two witnesses or something. You know, and it's kind of like, oh, okay. It's like my other son said, he was going to be a professional, you know, he's going to be in the NFL. It's like, yeah, five, seven. Okay, go ahead and try. <laughs> I want to be one of those two witnesses. And a few years ago, the Lord gave me a revelation, and it didn't, I didn't come up with it on my own. It was in conversation with another pastor, and things we were talking about. And boom, like the Lord just dropped this revelation in my heart. But suddenly, I saw something in the binoculars that I had never seen before. And we'll get into more details about what this means looking at Zechariah next week, I hope. Um, but it, it says here, uh, when, when we read this, it says, uh, let me find, find the verse. Um, so it says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,200 days, 60 days, clothed in sack, 1,260 days, clothed in that sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. That's a direct reference to Zechariah chapters 3 and 4. And we'll talk about that next week, okay? And it'll tie into this. But the thing that I had never seen before, I, don't, I always saw that, you know, since I began studying Revelation. I mean, your little footnote, your Bible book shows you that. But what I'd never seen before is suddenly, it's like the Lord just opened my mind and said, wait a minute, lampstands. Lampstands. The, you know, when you interpret the scripture, there are rules for interpreting the scripture properly, and kind of a list of priorities. And one of the first priorities is if the same author in the same book writes the same words, then they mean the same thing. You understand? And then there's, you know, priorities kind of get less and less as you go through things. But when you're drawing scripture together from different places, well, in the book of Revelation, there is absolutely no other interpretation for lampstand than churches. Remember, there are seven lampstands, and there are seven stars, and the stars are the angels of the churches. Jesus tells John. I mean, this not you don't have to make anything up. Jesus says it clearly. The churches are the lampstands are the seven churches. So the lampstands are churches. And there are two churches. And I don't know the full interpretation of this, but the one thing I know that I want to tell you tonight is we are the witnesses. I actually do believe there will be, just like there always is when there's a big, uh, God's doing something big in the church, there will be actually two leaders. I think there will be two individuals in, that will fulfill this role as the two witnesses. But they won't be acting alone. They are lampstands. And when we look at Zechariah, you'll see that those two men... Uh, uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel, they were not actually acting alone. And, and, and I'm going to show you a verse to show you that. But uh, uh, we, we are those two witnesses. So uh, this was just last night. 
if he's listening. Sorry, Stephen, don't want to embarrass you. But last night, Stephen sent me a text about something, about something, about something. And I said, well, don't worry about it, because I already know I was preaching this night. The two witnesses are coming. And uh, and then he wrote back, man, he wrote again, he's 30-something years old. I always wanted to be one of those two witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote back to him, Stephen, I already told you that revelation. You just forgot that you are one of those two witnesses. Whether you're the actual guy in Jerusalem or not, it doesn't matter. We are those two witnesses. So when we read this, we should not be looking at this as, you know, that, that's wonderful for somebody. This is a description of what Arrington Vineyard Fellowship is supposed to be like today. If, if we're going to survive these last days, and if we're going to actually, I mean, we pray all the time about revival, bring people into the church, get people saved, get people healed, help people and everything, and we don't have the power to help them. We have it, but we're not plugged into it. We're not walking in it. You know, I mean, we're, we're not exercising the gifts of the Spirit. The simplest, I wouldn't say nobody is, but I'm saying as a church, the simplest of things, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, speaking to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Making a melody in our hearts. You know, coming to church with a word, uh, encouragement for other people. You know, the simplest things of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Relying on the gifts of the Spirit. Any of you that have been walking with the Holy Spirit for enough time can tell can tell a story to this too. But I can tell you story after story of raising kids with the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. And it's not intuition. Intuition's a real thing too. My mom had. She had eyes in the back of her head, she knew everything you were doing. But there is something different when you're not just knowing something to get them in trouble. But you suddenly understand and you know by the Holy Spirit and you speak into their lives and it makes a difference. And you know. I just, as a father, even can tell you that it's a part of my probably ongoing repentance before God, uh, just to use a strong word for it, is I want to keep myself filled with the Holy Spirit. And I sense when my tank is running down and I'm parenting in my flesh or husbanding in my flesh or even pastoring in the flesh. And when I sense that, God, I've got to fill my tank up. I've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit because I don't know how to do any of this stuff without your Holy Spirit. Where is the fire coming out of our mouths? That's the question the Lord asked me tonight before I came here. Ask them, where is the fire coming out of our mouths that nobody can withstand? Where is the fire that comes out of our mouths and puts old men to death so that new men can be born again? Where is the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm telling you, it's not out there somewhere to go look for it. It's here in us. We will yield to the Holy Spirit and let Him flow in our lives. So I want to stand together tonight, and I just want to pray about that. And just a few touch, and that's in your heart. Just pray this with me. Father, I'm just so challenged by looking at these two witnesses, Lord. As we've been going through the book of Acts, and I know, Lord, that there's so much more that you have for us. And it's not about having it so that we can just get all these goosebumps and feel the Holy Spirit, but really for us to be your witnesses in this world today, Lord. So that lives of people like, like our children and our grandchildren, not just people in other countries, but even around the world, that they can be changed, not just because we gave money but because we walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for thinking that we could put money in place of the Holy Spirit. We'll often do that. Forgive us for thinking that we could just check off a box and give a tithe or send an offering. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urintonvinyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.